Good evening, everyone. Welcome to night one of our parish mission. This sound okay? Everybody good? I have a loud voice. That's what they tell me. Um, so just a couple things. We'll, we'll begin with uh, prayer here in just a moment. But just uh, I want to thank you for coming. You have a lot of places where you could be uh, on a Sunday night. I know there's a little weather out there, maybe some wind. Um, perhaps a symbol of the Holy Spirit breathing through uh, Pryor and Langley and surrounding areas. Um, but the idea uh, of a parish mission uh, is to bring people together of a parish, in this case, two parishes. So some of you may not know each other. Maybe you go to different masses. Maybe you go here in Pryor. Maybe you go in Langley. So an opportunity to perhaps see some new people, rekindle friendships, see people that you don't normally see. Uh, but then also to dive deeper into our faith. Um, one of the beautiful things about being Catholic um, is it never stops. I don't know if you've noticed that. If you've been a Catholic your whole life or maybe you're new to the faith, um, Catholicism never stops. Um, it's a bottomless ocean. Just when you think you kind of, okay, I know what I'm talking about. And then some like new saint comes along and you're just like, who is that? I must learn everything about them. Or you learn some, some new document comes out or something new about the sacraments or your, your own life changes um, and you have some experience that makes you want to go in a certain direction. So it's one of the beautiful things about our church um, is that it, it never ends. And so there's not a point uh, at which we kind of arrive or we become the most fully formed Catholic. Um, that doesn't exist. Um, and so no matter your age, no matter your, uh, your, your intellectual abilities, no matter the number of degrees you may have or, or not have, no matter how long you've been a Catholic, no matter how involved you are in the life of the parish, uh, there is always more. And so the idea of a parish mission um, is kind of twofold, to learn about your faith, and I hope that you're going to pick some things up uh, over our three days here. And then also, as I mentioned in a couple of the homilies, um, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a spiritual, um, you could put it nicely, a spiritual pep talk, and to put it not nicely, a spiritual butt kicking, all right? Um, to, to launch out into the season of Lent um, a little more inspired, uh, a little more uh, kind of into things, a little more dedicated, a little more motivated. So that's the goal of tonight. That's the goal of tomorrow night. That's the goal of Tuesday night. I hope you're able to join us for all three. If not, you can kind of uh, sort of come in and out um, as you're able. Um, what I want to do be is, is begin tonight um, with a beautiful scripture, and it's one that will be uh, familiar, I think, to you, but it's going to be kind of our launching point um, as, as we move uh, through these next couple days. As I mentioned in my homilies today, the topic um, is, is quite simply joy. Um, perhaps an, an interesting or a weird topic for the season of Lent. We don't associate Lent with joy. But what I want to do tonight is walk through how we can live our Lent in prayer and fasting and almsgiving to live our Lent with a spirit of great joy. Um, joy does not mean that everything is great. Joy does not mean perfection. In fact, we can even be joyful in the midst of suffering. We can be joyful in the midst of a season that, where the church is asking us to, to look inward, to be aware of our own sinfulness, of our own imperfection. So I want to begin tonight um, with John chapter 15, and it's the gospel um, that's commonly known as the vine and the branches. So I'll read this passage, and then we'll pray, and then we'll launch in to our evening together. So if you join me in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. From John chapter 15, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He takes away every branch in me that does not bear fruit, and every one that does he prunes so that he bears more fruit. You are already pruned because of the word that I spoke to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit on its own unless it remains on the vine, 
so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit because without me, you can do nothing. Let us pray. God, our Heavenly Father, as we begin this time together, we come to you in a spirit of humility and a spirit of joy. May your Holy Spirit come down upon us tonight and in the days ahead upon these parishes, upon these families, upon these individuals. Give us a great spirit of joy that only you can give, a joy found in the love and the goodness of Jesus Christ, who is Lord forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, I want to begin tonight, um, just I want to tell you about my mom. Every priest can tell you about their mom. Um, My mom, her name is Peggy O'Brien. She just turned 82 years old. Um, My mom lives her life with joy. When I was a kid, uh, I saw that. I saw it all the time. Now, my mom's not perfect. Uh, My mom would be the first to tell you that she falls short in all kinds of ways. But my mom lives her life with great joy. She's been married to my dad. They just celebrated their 55th wedding anniversary. Five kids, seven grandkids. So you'd think you kind of look at her life and say, wow, that sounds kind of perfect. That sounds like everything you could ever want. But also at the same time, as that life developed, um, my mom went through some really difficult times. Um, And it goes back to uh, when I was about three months old. I'm the fifth of five kids. Um, I was born in November. Well, that January, um, we're riding down the street in one of those old school station wagons from the 1970s. You guys remember those wood panel siding? Some of the older folks, you're gonna remember those. We're riding down the street, no one's wearing a seatbelt because it was the 70s. And I'm sitting on my mom's lap. I'm a, I'm a baby. And my mom has uh, basically a major seizure. Kind of out of nowhere, scared the heck out of my dad who was driving, out of my four brothers and sisters who were in the back seat. So they get to the hospital, they do all the tests that they can do and what they find Um, as my mom has a brain tumor the size of a lemon in her head. So now she has five kids under the age of eight, a husband, and a brain tumor. So you look at that and you think, she's in big trouble. This was 1976. Medical science is not as advanced as it is now. If you got that in 2023, you're still in some trouble. So my mom goes through this extensive surgery, comes out the other side with the tumor gone, but with some kind of nerve damage, um, some things that happened uh, mostly to the left side of her body following some of those seizures. And so in my entire life, I'm 47 years old, um, I've never seen my mom run. My mom has always, since I was a little baby, um, walked with a limp. She walks with a brace on her left leg. Um, She's had a difficult time um, with kind of physical strength, with getting around. Now, she is a very determined woman, make no mistake. And so goes to physical therapy three times a week and has for 50 years. Um, She's very dedicated to her exercises, very disciplined. And that's allowed her to keep her mobility, even up to 82, where now she's on a walker and doesn't move around so well, but can still drive and get around. But what I see in my mom, every time I see her, every time I talk to her, what I see in the middle of some pretty difficult circumstances, physical disability, almost dying multiple times, what I see is a woman of great joy. And if you asked her, Peggy, where do you get your joy? You've had all these things happen to you. You've had all these difficulties come at you. And she says, my Catholic faith. Her faith 
in Jesus Christ and his church is foundational to who she is. And so no matter the sufferings that come her way, uh, my mom has, has been able to and continues to live her life with incredible joy. I share that with you, one, because that's kind of my inspiration, one of many, um, but maybe you have somebody like that in your own life. Maybe they're still with us, maybe they're gone. Maybe it's one of the great saints that the church uh, offers us. But to know other people who live their lives with joy um, is very helpful. And so what we want to be, what this parish, these parishes want to be, we want to be places of joy, not a fake happiness. When we say joy, joy is something that's deep down, that even in the midst of suffering, we can still experience it. So it's not a happiness. Um, many of the great saints over the years have said, the most joyful, listen to this, the most joyful person in the world was Christ on the cross. What? That doesn't sound quite right. Look up at that cross behind me. That's not joy, or is it? It's a different way of looking at joy. We find joy when we're living the life that the Lord is asking us to live, when we're doing God's will. Sin gets in the way of joy. And we'll talk about that kind of as the days go on. Tonight, I wanna to talk about joy in Lent. Tomorrow, joy in the sacraments and in a life of stewardship. And then on Tuesday, joy in the mission that Christ gives us to go out into the world. Okay, so back to John chapter 15 and the vine and the branches. Uh, many of you work with trees, you work in agriculture, you at least have seen a tree, you know how trees work. Um, take a branch off a tree and watch it grow. No. Take a branch off a tree and put that branch on the ground. What happens to the branch? It's, it's done. The branch has to be as fixed. It has to be grafted. It has to be connected to the tree. The tree trunk is the source of its life. That is us and Christ, the vine and the branches. When we disconnect ourselves from Christ, when we step away from a relationship with Jesus, we're cutting ourselves off. We're a dead branch lying on the ground. And so the church gives us this beautiful season of Lent. And in the season of Lent, we're asked to do three things. And these three things are very specific actions, but are going to be different for each one of us. We call them prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. I'd like to go through each one and just talk about how we can actually find joy in the midst of Lent as we pray, as we fast, and as we are generous. Fasting is probably going to be the one that you're most interested in and like, how are we finding joy when I don't get the stuff that I want? We'll get there. But let's talk about prayer. There's a lot of different ways to pray. Um, even within the church, we have numerous ways in which we're allowed to pray or encouraged to pray. Um, our highest form of prayer is when we come to the holy sacrifice of the mass. I had a beautiful opportunity each and every Sunday and even throughout the week to grow in holiness by coming to the altar, receiving Holy Communion. We'll talk more about the Eucharist tomorrow. That's one of the ways in which we pray. But I want to make the argument here tonight that I think you and I overcomplicate prayer. Sometimes I think there's, we, sometimes we think we think there's a certain way to pray that's kind of right and wrong. And if I don't pray this certain way, I'm not doing it right. But one of the things and one of the kind of the bigness of the Catholic Church is there's a lot of different ways to pray. So I want to just take it down to a basic level. Um, prayer is, is quite simply this, just a basic definition. Prayer is talking to and listening to God. 
basic. It's something that we can all do. It's something we should all do on a regular basis. Um, if you don't have, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but you know your own life. You know how you spend your, your time. If you don't feel like you have a really strong prayer life, now is the time. Lent is the time to take that step forward. Now, the other temptation that I think sometimes that we have is we think, well, if I can't pray for this long extended period of time, then it's like not worth it. When in fact, a powerful prayer can, can be 20 seconds long. If it's sincere, if it's from the heart, if we're really talking to God and listening to God, it doesn't have to be long. In fact, sometimes long prayers are really distracting. Sometimes when we, when we say, okay, I'm going to pray now for, for 20 minutes, right? That's hard. That's something that we have to kind of build up to. And so to be people of prayer is simply this, to talk to God and to listen to God. The basic definition of prayer. How often do we do that? My encouragement and the church's encouragement is that we do that every single day, multiple times a day. That we talk to God and that we listen to God. Now, what forms does it take coming to Mass? Beautiful and expected. In fact, it's obligatory. Every Sunday, every holy day of obligation, we ought to be here. Um, whether we want to be here or not. If we're tired, we come. Uh, if we're distracted, we come. Uh, if there's nobody here or if the place is jam-packed, we come. But there's lots of other ways to pray. Um, in my own life, um, my favorite kind of prayer, if you will, um, is to come into a church, empty or otherwise, and just sit before the Blessed Sacrament. Now, I have a little bit of, I've never been diagnosed with like ADD, but I don't sit still very well. And so I remember back in seminary, Father Valentine and I were in school together, and there was this one priest at our seminary, and one of the things he used to do, he actually gave it as a penance for confession. If you went to him for confession, I always avoided him. If you went to him, he would say, I want you to sit in the chapel before the Blessed Sacrament for one hour and not do anything. Uh, that's like the worst. Now, maybe for you, that sounds great. Maybe for you, that sounds like something you would really enjoy, that you would really get a lot out of. Not me. When I come and sit in front of the Blessed Sacrament in my church, in our chapel, at our house, or when I come here to prior, um, I like to bring stuff with me. I bring my Bible. I'll bring my catechism. Um, I'll bring a good spiritual book. And what I do is I come, I sit down, I'll kneel down, I'll sit down. Sometimes I stand if I'm kind of tired or if I've been sitting all day. I just come and spend the first few minutes doing nothing. But a few minutes is really all I got. A few minutes of just doing nothing, just being in the presence of Jesus Christ, truly present in the Eucharist. Um, I heard a priest who was described it one time as spiritual radiation. You just sit there and you just soak it in, allowing the Lord to love you. The great St. John Vianney, he said, when I pray before the blessed sacrament, I look at him and he looks at me. So I try to spend just a few minutes doing nothing. And then I got to do something. And so I'll open up the scriptures. So these are all suggestions. Take them for what they're worth. Write them down if they're good. Dismiss them if they're not going to work for you. I'll sit down and I'll read through the, the readings of the day for the Mass. Sometimes that'll keep me, up, keep me focused for maybe five, ten minutes. I'll find something in there that I really like. You know, the readings today were amazing. The readings today about Adam and Eve, 
There's a lot in there. Um, the Psalm, Psalm 51, be merciful, O Lord, for we have sinned. There's a lot in there. The second reading from St. Paul to the Corinthians, um, the reading from the gospel, there's, all, there's a lot there that you can go in that direction. So I'll take a few minutes and just be in the Lord's presence, and then I'll usually look at something in the catechism, something, some spiritual reading, something in the scriptures to kind of to launch out into my prayer. That's usually what I do on a regular basis, and it works. When I'm going to close my prayer, so let's say I have five minutes, let's say I have an hour. The last thing that I do um, is always bring to mind things for which I am grateful. Um, that ought to be um, a great place to, to go when we pray. So often, it's not a bad thing, but so often we just sort of launch into all the stuff that we need. And we're supposed to do that. God wants to know our needs. He says, knock and the door will be open to you. Seek and you will find. He wants to know what's going on in our life. And he, of course, he knows it already. But to have gratitude for the things that are happening in our lives. Um, I got a penance one time, went to confession. This was several months ago. And, and the priest said, I want you to think of 25 things that you're grateful for. I was like, 20, 25, oh my gosh, that's, that's kind of a lot. You know what? It wasn't that hard. It wasn't that hard. I just started thinking about my family. Mom, dad, brother, sister, sister-in-law, nieces, nephews, uncles, aunts, priests, and I was at 25. I didn't even think about like my parishioners. I didn't even think about interesting and kind of cool experiences I've had in my life. And so I like blew past 25 and was probably on 75 or 100 before it ended. But when we pray to have a spirit of gratitude, um, so often, again, we just launch into kind of what we need. But what if we started with that for which we are grateful, right? So prayer, prayer is a place where we can really find joy. When we talk to God, when we listen to God, um, some amazing things can happen in the midst of our lives. So one thing I wanna encourage um, is a daily habit of prayer, daily, daily, daily. We say it in the Our Father, give us this day our daily bread. Right? We need that nourishment each and every day. Now, then if there's a day where maybe prayer doesn't make its way in, a lot of times we say, well, I didn't pray yesterday. I'm such, I'd be such a hypocrite if I just started suddenly praying today. Big deal. Pick up that ball and go. But praying every single day and getting into a particular habit. Now, each of you have different lifestyles. You have different schedules. Some of you are in school. Some of you are working all the time. Some of you are retired. So it's going to look different for each person. But one thing I would encourage is making prayer the very or almost very first thing that you do in the morning. One of my favorite saints is a Spanish priest named St. Jose Maria Escriva. He was the founder of a group called Opus Dei. Uh, Father Jose Maria was a very disciplined man. He had this practice that he called the heroic minute. And it's the first minute of the day. He says, that's where heroes are made. Now, I'm not looking at anyone in particular. I don't really even know you. But I bet for a lot of us, maybe most of us, that first minute is not so heroic. The alarm goes off. Somebody's waking you up. The dog is licking your face. And typically that first minute um, is usually spent either wanting to go back to sleep or maybe even in anger that, you're, that you have to get up. Maybe you have some worry about what's gonna happen in the days ahead. What Jose Maria Escriva says is that that first minute, we ought to do two things. 
Our feet should hit the floor and our knees should hit the floor. Now I know kneeling, not always ideal, but your feet hitting the floor and using that first minute, within the first minute that you wake up, making some, even if it's tired, even if your eyes aren't open, even if your hair's all over the place, making some offering to God in that moment of your day ahead, the heroic minute. Try it. Perhaps a Lenten practice for you to get your prayer life off to a good start. Now, if that's the only time you pray all day, your prayer life isn't very good, all right? But we want to be praying throughout the day. And there's numerous opportunities. But getting into a habit of prayer before meals, certainly. Um, Praying in the car, on the way to school, on the way to work. Um, praying when something happens in, in, in your life. Um, one of the things we used to do as kids, when, when an ambulance would come by, when a police car would go by, um, we were in the habit of praying a Hail Mary for whatever is going on, wherever that ambulance is headed. When we passed by a cemetery, we would pray for the souls who are buried there. Those are those beautiful little moments all throughout the day that make the day holy. These are ways in which we find joy. But I want to close this part about prayer and and simply give you this advice. To pray as you can. To do what works. Um, I'm going to say something that's going to be mildly scandalous. I have a hard time praying the rosary. I'm a priest. I have a hard time praying the rosary. I think one of the things is, is kind of my attention span. Um, I, re- I actually really don't pray the rosary by myself very much. If other people say, hey, do you want to get together and pray the rosary? I'm in. But to do it by myself, I, I just I struggle with it. I struggle sitting still. I struggle keeping focus. And so that's not the ideal way in which I pray. But I think sometimes we have these expectations, maybe from other people, about how we're supposed to pray. And I would simply say, pray as you can and do what works and then build on that. So if right now your prayer life is nothing, or if right now your prayer life is pretty small, Start where you are and begin to build. Maybe it's the heroic minute. Maybe it's the rosary every day. Maybe it's stopping by the church and spending a few minutes with Jesus in the blessed sacrament. Maybe it's coming to daily mass more frequently. Maybe it's gathering your family and praying together. Maybe it's praying on the way to work or on the way to school. But getting in that habit of prayer is what Lent is about. And it's ultimately what's going to be a source of joy in our life. It's going to keep us connected to the vine. Let's talk about fasting. Joy in fasting? What? It doesn't seem possible. But let's talk about fasting in two ways. We most, I think, associate fasting with food. And it certainly is related to that. Um, The first thing I'll say, practical advice, don't give up things for Lent that will become the penance of others. I live with three other priests in Stillwater, and two years ago, one of them, who will remain nameless, even though he was the only one who was there two years ago, you can figure it out if you really want to, um, he decided to give up coffee for Lent. Um, about day two, I think it was the Friday after Ash Wednesday, uh, we almost came to blows. Like, I was so sick of him and the way he was acting and he was kind of pouty and he was kind of erratic. I really wanted to throttle him. And I was like, what is your problem? Like, what, you're not normally like this. And he said, I gave up coffee. 
And I was like, can you talk to somebody, your spiritual director, whoever told you that that was a good idea? And, and can I please just take you out for a cup of coffee and, and let's be done with it, all right? So don't make your penance the penance of those that you live and work and go to school with. But within fasting, there can actually be great joy because fasting um, is meant to take us away from the connections, not to the vine, but to the world. So before I was in Stillwater, I was at Bishop Kelly High School for nine years in Tulsa. And one of the things I used to say to the students there, and I say to you tonight, what is something that you don't think you can live without? Might that be what the Lord is asking you to give up for the period of Lent? Now, the number one answer among teenagers was their cell phone. And I said, what if you gave up your cell phone for Lent? And there was just this, this look of horror. But if we're honest, a lot of us adults are that way too. And I said, okay, I'm not, so maybe don't give up your cell phone totally. But when are you like misusing your cell phone? When does your cell phone become a problem in your life as opposed to a tool that helps you live better. And nine out of 10 of them would say, at night. I bring it into bed, I have it in my room, and I don't go to sleep. People are texting me all night or I'm watching videos or looking at things I shouldn't look at. I said, okay, what if you gave up your cell phone every night at seven o'clock? The same look of horror. And then, you know what? Some of them did it. And their lives changed for the better. There was an addiction there. And so, in many cases, what they did was they sat down with their parents. And this applies to the teenagers here, but this applies to all of us. Sitting down with somebody, they sat down with their parents and they said, every night at 7 o'clock, I'm handing you my phone. Don't give it back to me until the morning on my way to school. And what I saw in these young people was an amazing freedom. They were attached not to the vine of Jesus Christ, but to the vine of the technology. And what they were able to do over the course of a few weeks um, is start to detach from those things that were holding them back from a deeper relationship with God. What they reported was, I get better sleep. Awesome. Um, I'm not as tired in the morning. I'm eating better. And then the number one thing for a priest to hear is for them to say, I like prayed before I went to bed. So maybe it's technology for you. Maybe it's something else. When we talk about fasting, it doesn't have to be food, but it certainly can be. Is there something food-wise that you don't think you can live without? Might that be what you give up for these 40 days and 40 nights of Lent. And not as a way to prove that you can do it. And certainly not as a way to sort of show to your family or to your your friends sort of how disciplined you are. But rather, what's getting in the way of a deeper relationship with Christ? And so we have to check our motives. Why am I giving up what I'm giving up? And ultimately, what we want to do is we want to give up what we're giving up so that we can grow in love of God and each other. So fasting can actually be a source of great joy. And I want to share with you, we heard it uh, just a few weeks ago, or a few days ago, I should say, um, from Matthew chapter 6. on fasting. We heard it on Ash Wednesday, as a matter of fact. Matthew chapter 6, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. How often do we do this? We're giving something up and then everybody knows it. You know, we're giving up sweets, we're giving up pop, we're giving up coffee, we're giving up, and then coffee appears. And this, it becomes everybody's thing. Oh, coffee. Oh, right? Keep it to yourself. There's a discipline in that. There's a humility in that. So Matthew says, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, 
they neglect their appearance so that they may appear to others to be fasting. Amen, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you may not appear to be fasting except to your father who is hidden and your father who is hidden will repay you. There can be a joy in fasting. Um, Fasting can help us to grow closer to the Lord. There are often impediments to joy, and this is the the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It's a wonderful book, a wonderful document. And in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, I want to make sure I get my paragraph right here. There it is. In the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it mentions not food that we ought to fast from, um, but rather some behaviors that we ought to fast from. Because oftentimes, what can take away our joy and the joy of others is the way that we act. When we are uncharitable, walk into a room with someone who's being mean. And what you find very quickly is that your joy kind of gets sucked out. We react to what's going on with other people. Some of you maybe are kind of in that sensitive. I I know I am. I watch a commercial of some father and son reunion or something. It's a 30-second commercial. I'm crying. Okay? I I respond to kind of the emotions of, of other people. Watch those videos of a soldier returning home, right? I'm, I'm going to be a mess in like 12 seconds. But there are certain things that we do that get in the way of the joy of others. So when we think about fasting, not just fasting from food, not just fasting from technology, but what if we fasted from the things that steal the joy of other people? So one thing that comes to mind, we see this a lot in Stillwater. I think we probably see it in Pryor and in Langley, wherever you live, right? Like the sin of gossip. Ugh. Gossip steals joy. Lack of charity steals joy. And the catechism lays out um, a couple of what they just call, they call it impediments to happiness. Here's how the catechism says it. This is paragraph 2094. It says, one can sin against God's love in various ways. What if you gave up these things for Lent? Or what if you picked just one of these and really made it a point of emphasis to give this up in the season of Lent? Indifference. Indifference neglects or refuses to reflect on divine charity. It fails to consider its goodness and denies its power. Indifference, how often do we sort of see something going on that we know isn't right? We see some situation that we know we can help and we do nothing. That's called indifference. It's a stealer of joy. What if we fasted from indifference? You might be thinking of a particular situation. Maybe somebody in your family that needs some help. Somebody in your workplace, somebody in your school who could use a little extra, but we're indifferent. We don't want to get too involved. What if we fasted from indifference? Ingratitude. Ingratitude fails or refuses to acknowledge divine charity and to return him love for love. What if we fasted from ingratitude? Taking the proactive step of being very, very grateful throughout the whole day and then telling people that. Um, a friend of mine in Tulsa, was a couple years ago, um, it was midway through Lent and he called me and he never calls me. And he called me and he said, Father O'Brien, I just wanna thank you for being a good priest, for being my friend, for helping my family through a few difficult circumstances, uh, I just simply wanted to say thank you. I was shocked. I mean, I honored and humbled by, by such a statement. And I said, well, thank you. That's, I said, would you mind kind of, where's this coming from? And he said, for Lent, I made a list of 46 people 
who have made a difference in my life. And every day of Lent, I'm, I'm calling one of them. And I thought, well, why am I number 24? What the heck? No, I'm just kidding. What a cool way to live out Lent, right? You want to bring some joy to other people? Fasting from ingratitude. The list goes on. Lukewarmness. Lukewarmness is hesitation or negligence in responding to divine love. It can imply refusal to give oneself over to the prompting of charity. What if we gave up lukewarmness for Lent? What if we fasted from being lukewarm? The book of Revelation, great line, one of the great lines in all of Scripture, Revelation 3.16. If you are lukewarm, he says, uh, John says, I wish that you were neither hot nor cold. If you are lukewarm, I will spit you out. Harsh words, right? Lukewarmness. What if we fasted from that? The next one, two more. Acedia, or spiritual sloth, goes so far as to refuse the joy that comes from God and to be repelled by divine goodness. That we know something is a good and we avoid it out of laziness. Um, sometimes that can apply to coming to church. Gosh, I know it's good. I know what's happening there is good. I know the Eucharist is good. I know confession is a good. I just don't want to do it. That's a spiritual sloth. And it's a habit that can form. Right? Habits can take the form of vices and virtues. Think of it like a muscle. When you have a muscle that you work out over and over and over again, what happens? It gets bigger. Get stronger. When you have a habit where that you, you don't pay attention to, you don't use it, it becomes a vice, it becomes weak. Weaker and weaker, or stronger and stronger. And the last one, it's kind of harsh. Let's give up hatred of God. Oh, we're probably not gonna come to a Lenten parish mission if we have hatred of God. But listen to this. Hatred of God comes from pride. It is contrary to love of God, whose goodness it denies and whom it presumes to curse as the one who forbids sin and inflicts punishment. And so I don't think any of us here, there's not a hatred of God, but I think there can be, I'm guilty of it. I'm a priest, I do this for a living. There can be an indifference in our lives, an indifference towards God. I'll get to God when I'm good and ready. God, I'm very busy, and so if you could just hang on for a day or a week, or I'll get to you when my kids leave the house, or I'll get to you when I get that job, I'll get to you when you get to me. We have that indifference sometimes towards God. What if we fasted from staying away from God, rather than going towards God in this life of prayer? So there's joy in prayer, there's joy in fasting. And then finally, easier than the first two, there's joy in almsgiving. Almsgiving is the fancy way of saying being generous. The first thing we usually think of is money. But I want to challenge you to go beyond that. Please be generous with your dollars. Absolutely. Um, that can be with the parish, that can be with the diocese, that can be with lots, so many great charities in and around. But that's also with each other, with people in our own families. On um, the great St. Teresa of Calcutta, Mother Teresa, she said, you want to change the world, go home and love your family. So, so often our charity can be outside of the people that are closest to us, when in fact it's the people closest to us who need it the most. But we find joy in being generous. And that takes kind of two forms. One is like, if you've ever kind of helped another person, and I'm assuming everybody in here has at some level, there's a feeling that you get. It's a feeling of accomplishment. It's a feeling of, I've done good today. That's a good thing. It's a consolation that the Lord gives us when we do something good for another person. 
But let that not be our motivator. Right? We don't want feelings to be kind of the source of our goodness. If it doesn't feel good, I'm not going to do it. If there's not this immediate reward to me, then I'm not going to be generous. We want to be generous because God is generous. We're going to talk more about this tomorrow. But when we look at our own lives, it's amazing to think about how generous God has been to me and how God has been to you. Now, is your life perfect? No, it's not. Are there things in your life that you want to change? I'm sure there are. But the fact that you even exist is God's generosity. The fact that you're here tonight is God's generosity. The gift of the Eucharist is God's generosity. That you have a priest who loves you, God's generosity. That you have a family, an imperfect family as it may be, God's generosity coming to us all the time. And so when we're generous with our money, with our time, with our talents, we are sharing in the life of God. We get to be like God. There's a great line in uh, St. Paul to the Corinthians. You probably have heard it at least in part. But St. Paul writes to the people of Corinth. This is uh, chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Consider this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each must do as already determined without sadness or compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And so not only do we have an opportunity to be generous, we have an opportunity to be generous and joyful when we're doing it. And what happens is so often that then inspires other people to be joyful and generous. When you see somebody else doing something good, you want to also do some good. And so in a parish like yours, in a community like yours, maybe there's a certain problem out there that's not being addressed. Maybe something within the life of the parish. Um, there's a hesitancy sometimes. I think we wait for somebody else to step up. We wait for somebody else to do it. Well, I think especially in a smaller community, right? I come from a parish. Um, we're about a thousand families, right? There's a lot of people in there to step up and do things. I'll tell you, though, there's a lot of things where people aren't stepping up. Um, the parish I came from, I grew up at, right outside of Houston, Texas. Um, my parish in Houston, Texas is 8,500 families, right? There's a community in which, wow, somebody's going to step up. But how about Langley? And how about Pryor? There aren't as many people to choose from. And so what it requires is a great deal of generosity on the part of those of you who are around and regular. It requires somebody to step forward, to take on the task. And just what I've seen last night and today, it seems that that's happening in a, in a whole bunch of different ways in this parish. Beautiful. Let's keep that going, especially in the season of Lent. What's not being addressed? What's not being done? How can you be of help to Father Valentine and his leadership of the parish? He didn't tell me to say this. This is not a public service announcement. These are just great opportunities um, to be generous, to try to be like God. What I want to close with um, is uh, uh, one of the more difficult passages um, in Scripture, I think, um, because... It speaks to what happens when we're not as generous. Um, it's usually called the parable of the rich young man. And it says this. Now someone approached him and said, this is uh, Matthew chapter 19. Now someone approached him and, he, and said, Teacher, what good must I do to gain eternal life? He answered him, Why do you ask me about the good? There is only one who is good. If you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. 
Which ones, he said. And Jesus replied, you shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all of these I have observed. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you wish to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And then one of the saddest lines in all of scripture. When the young man heard this statement, he went away sad for he had many possessions. Now, this is not a message to go liquidate all your assets tonight. Um, you have things to care for. You have families to care for. But if we think about ways in which we're not generous, um, it ought to kind of prick at our conscience. Um, and so not as a way to, to, to guilt people. Um, St. Paul to the Corinthians, he says, don't give by compulsion, but give out of the generosity of your heart because God has been generous to you. That's going to be our, kind of our theme for, for tomorrow night on this life of generosity, a life of stewardship. God has given us everything. And then we spend our lives giving it back. We can find joy even in Lent. Joy in a life of prayer, joy in a life of fasting, joy in a life of almsgiving. I hope that tonight can be a launching point for you and for me, for the life of these parishes um, as we head into these wonderful 40 days and 40 nights. Let's pray together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Loving Father, you have given us everything. We come to you weak, sinful, prideful. We know that we are works in progress. We know that we are broken. And so we ask for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon us. Help us to live this season of Lent as we prepare for Easter with a spirit of joy in our prayer, in our fasting, and in our generosity. Help each of us to be followers of your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.